Good morning and welcome back to the Thrive Subscribe podcast. Uh, Pharmacy Today is uh, going through a, a, a lot of turmoil and there's a lot of uncertainty where things are going. Uh, one of the issues that we see as pharmacy owners and pharmacists is we, we're not sure uh, how things are going to work out in the end. We're seeing so many different pain points uh, that it's difficult to really uh, you know, plan and move forward. So today we're going to, uh, Randy's going to talk with Lindsay Ludwig of CPESN Iowa uh, and kind of discuss some of these pain points and things they can do to work around and work through and and modify practice uh, to really clear the way uh, for pharmacy to evolve and transform. So I'll turn it over to Randy now and we'll listen to him talking with Lindsay. So this week um, was an exciting week because we had a bunch of kickoff meetings uh, regarding a, a big program um, within um, pharmacy nationally. And for those of you who may be aware or may not be aware, uh, there's a program called Flip the Pharmacy, which is a grant that has been funded by the Community Pharmacy Foundation um, with the monies given to CPSN USA to help the networks within CPSN USA. Uh, to further transform the practices within the network. Um, We're fortunate today to have Lindsay Ludwig, who is the director of uh, CPESN Iowa. And CPESN Iowa was one of the uh, networks that was um, identified or um, was picked to to, uh, receive the grant. And Lindsay has also been very involved in some of the transformation processes within the state of Iowa with some of the work that she and I have done together on transforming nine practices within the state of Iowa. So I thought today would be good um, to interview Lindsay regarding what her thoughts are regarding practice transformation as we move forward, especially given some of the experience she has with that. So, Lindsay, my first question is, um, you know, what are you what are you seeing as being the main pain points to community pharmacists right now? Well, um, certainly I think right now insecurity um, with um, challenges regarding DIR fees and low reimbursement is a pain point that is challenging pharmacists to figure out what they need to do to change their reimbursement model. And you know that lack of PBM transparency um, has created a lot of frustration, um, but the frustration I think has led to more action. Um, and that said, the the pain point um, seems to be trying to find the time and um, and the knowledge to change the way that the pharmacist and their staff have really worked for years. Um, and practiced and transform that to offering more services. Um, I think one of the things that we have seen with one of the um, payer opportunities that we have within the state um, has been consistently engaging with those payer opportunities and then um, documenting all of their services that they're providing. So I think if there's anything that we can do to assist pharmacists and their staff with a a better workflow in outreach to patients, um, getting patients scheduled, and then more consistently providing services so that it's not a something else to do, but it's part of what they do. Um, 
it, it will make things flow much easier in the pharmacy. So you brought up a few issues then. So and it seems like probably the, the resounding theme is that there's a reduction in reimbursement overall that we're seeing within community pharmacy and with the DIRPs and reductions in reimbursement overall. And then you also have underwater max. So uh, all the big things that we hear about and that we have to change our practice model um, because or business model because we're not s surviving as a traditional dispensing pharmacy and we know with all the competition out there um, you know they're trying to automate and Amazon pill pack is is national now and and everybody's trying to get into the business which is interesting so many people want to get in the business when we're struggling to figure out the business model for this and we're trying to move into a different business model from that perspective so with that being said like what, what do you go ahead go ahead no, I was kind of like having a foot in two different canoes and you're trying to keep them together, but they're really trying yeah. to go different ways. And um, <coughs> so you don't want to split, yeah. but keep those working in parallel. Yeah. And I actually wanted to say something about that too. I appreciate them. I was once told, and this is during the early days when we had the Iowa Center for Pharmaceutical Care and really had some of the early work in transforming pharmacy practices. And I was one of the faculty members for that in helping these pharmacies. And I remember talking to one of the professors at the University of Iowa. They said, I don't know what's so difficult about this. You know, this is not rocket science. So quickly, I thought about analogy. I said, well, let's think of it from this perspective. I said, you know, you're in a certain field and, and it, we'll just say pharmaceutics. And I said, you know, here you are, a researcher in pharmaceutics, but the money's starting to dry up in pharmaceutics research. So the dean of the college comes to you and says, hey, listen, we still need you to do pharmaceutics research, but there's a lot of money now being made in, in um, medicinal chemistry research. And so we need you to start doing that as you're actually doing the pharmaceutics. And he looked at me and goes, well, that's impossible. I'm like, thank you very much. I said, that's exactly what we're trying to get our pharmacists to do. They have to live in two worlds right now. And that's very challenging for them to be able to do that. So I appreciate that, the analogy you have, because you're right. They are living in two different canoes that are being tied together, and they seem to be drifting apart from each other, you know, every so often. So let me ask you this, then. I mean, given these issues, what do you see as the future of community pharmacy? Well, uh, I think the future I see is the same future that I saw probably 15, 20 years ago, but it's probably going to be much more of a reality now due to the constraints on um, on product reimbursement. But I, I see a future that there is um, a complete separation between product reimbursement and pharmacy services, um, where technicians, you know, really become the manager and the lead on all of the product related function. And then the pharmacists, you know, are, are doing what they do best, working to the top of the license, assessing the medications to assure they're safe and effective and that those medications are then optimized and um, pick up, um, pickups really act as a, a touch point, a regular touch point with that patient. And they know when they come in, you know, they almost have a mini assessment um, oftentimes. Um, and, and community pharmacies remain vital because they are a medication administration center, a, an injection center, a point of care testing facility, um, a monitoring center almost. And, um, 
and in order to do that, we've got to leverage technology um, to keep people engaged in therapy, to communicate with them on a regular basis. And maybe that's a, through a little bit of coaching, um, using technology to, to help coach them and send them um, maybe daily, weekly messages to stop smoking, lose weight, whatever it might be. Um, but then also, you know, get that quick assessment from the pharmacy. Um, and the reimbursement model then will will have to change with that. And the pharmacists and their staff that um, are well-prepared and engaged with patients and get them to their goals, then um, then realize that that value-based reimbursement for the um, for the services provided, but you know from a from a product standpoint, I still um, we have to be paid fairly for product, um, and and there's no reason why we shouldn't. I appreciate that. So really, what you're seeing for the future of community pharmacy is within the community that they serve, they become a major health hub, um, providing services optimizing medications, working closely with other providers, and doing an array of services and uh, monitoring and working up the patient. What do you see, and, and this is a little bit um, off the cuff from this, but my other question is, there's other roles that I think that are starting to evolve within community pharmacy, such as assessing patients for social determinants of health, um, identifying maybe community health workers within the community pharmacy, whether it be a delivery driver, a technician, or someone else that you've hired that really can um, do some outreach to identify any issues that might be preventing someone from accessing healthcare. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that model um, starting to emerge? Well, I definitely believe it's emerging. Um, actually, I had a conversation with one of our network pharmacies the other day um, because they were looking at how they could serve a um, community that was nearby and maybe not put a telepharmacy in that community. But, um, you know, we talked about adding a little bit of additional staff and then training their staff as community health workers. Um, and that could differentiate themselves, um, you know, against their, their area competition, but then also... Um, it really creates that community engagement person that is out um, as they do deliveries and they're trained as a community health worker. They can maybe gather blood pressures and, you know, do a social determinants um, assessment. The thing with it right now is we really need to um, look at liability and, you know, maybe meet, excuse me, maybe make a few changes to, um, how that person is defined and, you know, what liabilities may or may not um, exist with those positions. But I think that's a transformation that needs to occur over time. And I think definitely different roles, um, you know, maybe having a, a, um, a technician that is almost like your office manager, um, or maybe it is an office manager that you hire, but, um, you know, having someone that, that, provides the pharmacist with their daily appointments, kind of cues up, um, you know, patients in need, and they kind of help to stratify who needs what service and when. So that if the community health worker can do something, if the, uh, you know, technician can do something or if the pharmacist needs to do something, you work collectively as a team, but it's not the pharmacist that needs to do everything. 
Very good. So you brought up some a key, a couple of key points. I think is important. One is, you know, the value of the services and the recognition of those services by the community for uh, the pharmacy and how you can actually use that in a marketing way, right? And saying this is what we can do. Um, and so the other thing was, um, you know, just utilizing your staff in a different way. And and one of the things we didn't talk about, and also looking for how do they get reimbursed too, right? and uh, right. for the work that they do as well too yeah which is going to be important um, as well so that kind of leads into then obviously things need to change so from your perspective why is practice transformation in this big program this big grant um, this big um, initiative um, with the community or cpsn usa and the community pharmacy foundation why is flip the pharmacy and this practice transformation so important well um uh, there are so many different different reasons, but I think um, you always do better when you're held accountable. And you know, with the practice transformation, um, flip the pharmacy program, having that coach that is there to encourage you, um, but also touch base with you on a regular basis to make sure that you're meeting whatever established goals that you have as a pharmacy. And, and in this case, you know, what the, what the program has um, on a regular basis. And then it's broken down into relatively easy steps to take to move in the direction that creates a habit. And um, it's also an outside voice to help staff who may be a little bit resistant to change. Um, but if we don't, um, take stepwise approaches to change, um, we're going to end up at some point in time just really having a significant disruption and you may not really be able to make the changes necessary in order to act upon the services that may be um, offered in front of you. Um, and you you may not have the revenue stream to support you know your community pharmacy in long term long term. Okay. So the point that I think you're making is that the transformation process becomes important to be proactive with that uh, because you may have new opportunities that start to emerge within your own community, within your own network, within your own state. And I've always said that don't wait for those opportunities to occur before you change because it's too late uh, because right. you really need to start preparing now because it does take effort. And we know that it takes effort, it takes an investment in your practice, and it takes time to make those changes. Plus, if you haven't been doing that, getting um, other providers within the area and patients in, within your area, patients within your practice, understanding this new role that you're trying to serve for them. And that role being the, the person really managing your medications to make sure you're optimizing your medications as well, too. You know, another question yeah, I have for you is, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, patients, um, employers, payers, and prescribers all need to see us doing different things. Um, Absolutely. I think, you know, I just think about my neighborhood and, um, you know, I am the neighborhood community pharmacist, but I sit in my house and people come over to see what, is, what do you think this is and what do you think that is and do you have something for this and do you have something for that? And, you know, I, I'm always amazed when people consistently say, man, I wish I, I could get this, you know, from my pharmacy or you should open a pharmacy. I'm like, I had a pharmacy. 
<laughs> I sold it to raise my children. But, um, you know, I think people don't see that on a consistent basis um, broadly, which is unfortunate. Yeah. And um, and certainly, you know, the community pharmacies, I think people see that um, on a more regular basis, but um, it kind of depends on what their um, what their most um, frequent experience has been. And if it is going to, you know, a larger um, chain pharmacy, that is, they don't have that relationship. Um, I right. recently posted on, um, on my Facebook page, actually, how important it was to know your pharmacist and for your pharmacist to know you. And I ran into a friend who is um, about 10 to 15 years older than me and who's working with her um, elderly parent right now. And she said, thank you for that. She said, I never really stopped to think about how important it was to have a relationship with my pharmacist. But she said, after I, I really thought about it, and you're right, and I went and introduced myself and told them more about me and made sure that they were more aware about my mother. So, you know, I think the more that we can keep that conversation going and help patients and payers and prescribers understand that there is a difference, um, that's critical. Yeah, and I agree. And, and one of the things I want to comment on, too, is um, we actually ha you know, have very good chain pharmacists that are establishing those kind of relationships as well, too. So this is not just you know um, independent pharmacy, but this is really community-based pharmacy. The sure. biggest thing is you got to have the capacity to be able to establish that relationship. And this relationship is different. It's a therapeutic relationship where what you're promising the patient is that you'll do all that you can within your skills and knowledge to make sure they're optimizing their medications. In return, the patient's got to be open and honest with you and provide you with the information that you need right. to be able to do it. Right. 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 So how, how important, you know, because we bring that up all the time about, you know, one of the things that community pharmacy has is accessibility. How important is that access to the patient and how important are face-to-face -face encounters? Well, um, obviously that's the desire is for uh, a face-to-face -face encounter on some sort of regular basis um, because that's how you can really do that visual assessment, that quick visual assessment of a patient. Um, however, um, if you have a pretty strong relationship with, with your patient, I do believe that um, some face-to-face, -face, but then also just some telephonic or even digital encounters um, are just as valuable because you have that established relationship and, um, and you're able to know what they need, um, maybe ask the targeted questions um, that are specific to that patient. So, um, you know, I strongly believe in those face-to-face -face encounters, but I, I think by having that relationship locally with with your pharmacist and the patient, um, you can begin to use other means to support that face-to-face -face encounter. So you see it as complementary to each other. The face-to-face -face is important, um, but also optimizing the use of technology to help you have those frequent touches with yes. the patient and using digital or telepharmacy or telemedicine and just the technology available to us. And I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, it's not like we can the patient can always get to us or we can always get to the patient from a face-to-face -face perspective, but establishing, because 
as I always said, the human touch does mean something, right? And it it's it's better to be in you know in front of people, but that's not always going to be the case. So how do we utilize our technology to be able to do that? So I appreciate that that answer you had. You know, one of the things that you've been very successful in helping us at CPS in Iowa is you know, establishing contracts um, with payers, and obviously that's an evolving model, but. What about new payment models for community pharmacists, and what are you seeing as far as the different types of payment models, and where do you, you know, where do you see that going as far as payment for services? Uh, well, we we all know that employers and patients are getting incre- increasingly frustrated with, um, you know, the increased cost of of their prescriptions, and they're looking for alternatives. Um, and while you know the the cost of the prescription seems to be the, the focal point, you know, the impact that we can make is on the other side, you know, on the total healthcare cost reductions. So, um, you know, from a, from a product perspective, in order to be able to um, maybe provide a little bit more transparency and um, clarity to just how much am I as an employer, how much am I paying for this prescription? And, and, um, and, you know, honestly for them, how much is it worth? Um, I was with a pharmacy the other day who was telling me that they started, um, working with their local hospital and, um, their hospital had had come to them and said, you know, our prescription costs are outrageous. And, um, so they agreed to do a, basically a WAC plus dispensing fee um, is a very fair dispensing fee um, for all of their hospital employees. And essentially, they did that in addition to their current um, PBM plan. So, um, you know, when the employee comes into their pharmacy, when the hospital employee comes to the pharmacy, they just bill it, um, you know, WAC plus a dispensing fee, charge the patient a copay, an agreed upon copay um, with the hospital. And then the hospital will pay any difference um, on a monthly basis if it if the cost is above what their WAC plus dispensing fee was. So you know I think having that sort of of reimbursement clarity just for the product side is important, but it's even better when you can um, add it to combine a service component to it and having some sort of value based. Um, service. So, um, you know, maybe it's a per member per month fee for, um, you know, managing an entire population. And then you have to look at that population and have a way to identify who do I need to target and how often do I need to target them? Because I only have so many resources, right? So, um, you know, in an ideal world, we have both. We have fair reimbursement that is in a in a transparent um, model, coupled with some sort of um, a value-based reimbursement, and maybe that's a, a totally at-risk, um, you know, value reimbursement, um, and either a flat fee monthly or a um, per member per month, or maybe it's just for specific high-risk patients. Um, you know, we've got some um, pharmacies across the state doing some unique. Um, some unique programs and some are getting paid just a fee for service to assess patients, um, once or twice a year. Um, some are getting paid 
a, uh, per member per month fee. Um, so it's just, there's, I think a tremendous amount of opportunity. Um, and it really maybe needs to just be customized to what the, um, what the patient needs and, and what the employer in this case needs. Employer or the ultimate payer, what they're or looking the payer, for. Whatever right? payer the payer yeah. is. Correct. Yeah. Right. And I yeah. do think yeah. there should also be opportunity for bonus if, if the pharmacy um, can meet metrics that um, are established that really create a win-win-win for everybody. Yeah. And I'm seeing that as well too, right? Where we have models where you're getting paid for the product the traditional way. And then if you hurt certain metrics, you get a bonus mm-hmm. payment, but you got to hit those metrics. It's not a truly at-risk model. You're not going to get money taken away, but you're at risk of making nothing if you don't right. hit those metrics, right? Right. So, yeah, it's exciting to see what's happening in community pharmacy and, and the opportunities. So from your perspective then, Lindsay, would you recommend to a young uh, pharmacy student saying, hey, I'm looking for you know, where I can um, have the most bank you know, for my education and, and would community pharmacy be a place for them to go? Oh, I wholeheartedly believe community pharmacy is, is, is the place to go because I think there is so much opportunity right now. And if, you know, uh, a student is a go-getter and, you know, willing to make outreach to their community, their prescribers in their community, their employers in their community, you know, the patients that are in their community and show and do things differently. Um, I, I just think, you know, that you really, uh, you don't even know what the future holds because there is so much opportunity that on a continuous basis, um, the pharmacies within our network are getting contacted. Hey, can you administer all of our, um, medroxy progesterone, um, injections for patients? Hey, can you, um, administer our long acting injectables for our, our, um, patients? Um, can you do comprehensive med reviews on my, um, on my high risk patients, you know, in my prescriber's office? So, I think we are just now finally getting tapped on a more consistent basis in the community. And um, yeah, trying to find the reimbursement, um, the right reimbursement right now is a little bit tricky, but I think the conversations are open and they're probably more open than I've seen them in the last 20, 25 years. Oh, I totally agree. I would say that maybe within the last five years, I've seen a change in how people are viewing community pharmacists and all stakeholders. Um, when I say that, um, payers included, and it's exciting for me because I, and you've heard me say this, it's no longer the evolution of community pharmacy. We really are in a revolution in the sense of how fast things are changing, but how fast community pharmacies and networks like CPS and USA are really working to get pharmacists ready and fighting for the community pharmacist and, and for what the things that we're doing that really help to improve healthcare and, and uh, patient care overall. So Lindsay, do you have um, any parting thoughts uh, before we end this interview? Well, the only thing that I was thinking about was, you know, when we look across in the state of Iowa, for instance, you know, a rural, rural state, um, the community pharmacy is, probably the most consistent provider, healthcare provider in that community. You know, there are a number of um, 
of practitioners that maybe float in and out of a particular community. So on an on a day-to-day basis, that community pharmacist is really plugging the holes um, to ensure that that patient has, you know, consistent care on a regular basis. And, um, and they're probably the person that knows that patient best. So, um, you know, when we look at, at what we can offer, we really are that health hub, you know, um, where having those regular check-ins with the pharmacist and having that consistency and having, you know, the providers reach out and say, what, you know, what have you seen recently? Um, that is such a tremendous value that we can offer to payers um, and patients and our local communities that I think, um, you know, that's why community pharmacy is just so vital. Very good. Well, thank you very much, Lindsay, for your time today. And um, I appreciate you and your thoughts. And, and I tell you, you've come a long ways in helping us within our own network. And so personally, I wanted to say thank you for all the work that you've done to help our network succeed and be successful. So thanks a lot, Lindsay. Thanks, Randy. The Thrive Subscribe podcast is brought to you by Thrive Pharmacy Transformations. Visit us online at tptransformations.com where you can join our free community to inspire you, challenge you, and transform your pharmacy practice.